Welcome! I'm your host, Brad Bates, and this is Dark Classics, a show that reaches into the past to pull out familiar and not-so-familiar short stories and poems from the Gothic and Victorian eras. Classics from authors like Edgar Allan Poe, Bram Stoker, Percy Shelley, Charles Dickens, and more. So sit back, turn the lights down low, get comfortable, and let's open a new chapter to a dark classic. Chapter 3. The Story of the Moonbeam Slowly I creep along the bosom of the waters. Sometimes I look back as I rise upon a billow and see behind me many of my kin sitting each upon a wave summit as upon a throne. So I go on for long, a power that I wist not forcing me onward without will or purpose of mine. At length, as I rise upon a mimic wave, I see afar a hazy light that springs from a vast palace, through whose countless windows flame lamps and torches. But at the first view, as if my coming had been the signal, the lights disappear in an instant. Impatiently, I await what may happen. And as I rise with each heartbeat of the sea, I look forward to where the torches had gleamed. Can it be a deed of darkness that shuns the light? The time has come when I can behold the palace without waiting to mount upon the waves. It is built of white marble and rises steep from the brine. Its seafront is glorious with columns and statues, and from the portals the marble steps sweep down, broad and wide to the waters, and below them down as deep as I can see. No sound is heard, no light is seen. A solemn silence abounds, a perfect calm. Slowly I climb the palace walls, my brethren following as soldiers up a breach. I slide along the roofs, and as I look behind me, walls and roofs are glistening as with silver. At length I meet with something smooth and hard and translucent, but through it I pass and enter a vast hall, where for an instant I hang in mid-air and wonder. My coming has been the signal for such a burst of harmony as brings back to my memory the music of the spheres as they rush through space, and in the full, swelling anthem of welcome, I feel that I am indeed a sun spirit, a child of light, and that this is homage to my master. I look upon the face of a great monarch who sits at the head of a banquet table. He has turned his head upwards and backwards and looks as if he had been awaiting my approach. He rises and fronts me with a ringing out of the welcome song, and all the others in the great hall turn towards me as well. I can see their eyes gleaming. Down along the immense table, laden with plate and glass and flowers, they stand holding each a cup of ruby wine, with which they pledge the monarch when the song is ended, as they drink success to him and to the feast of beauty. I survey the hall. An immense chamber with marble walls covered with base reliefs and frescoes and sculptured figures and paneled by great columns that rise along the surface and support a dome ceiling painted wondrously in its center the glass lantern by which I entered. On the walls are hung pictures of various forms and sizes, and down the center of the table stretches a raised platform on which are placed works of art of various kinds. At one side of the hall is a dais, on which sit persons of both sexes with noble faces and lordly brows, but all wearing the same expression, care tempered by hope. All these hold scrolls in their hands. 
At the other side of the hall is a similar dais on which sit others fairer to earthly view, less spiritual and more marked by surface passion. They hold music scores. All these look more joyous than those on the other platform, all save one, a woman who sits with downcast face and a dejected mien, as of one without hope. As my light falls at her feet, she looks up, and I feel happy. The sympathy between us has called a faint gleam of hope to cheer that poor, pale face. Many are the forms of art that rise above the banquet table, and all are lovely to behold. I look on all with pleasure one by one till I see the last of them at the end of the table away from the monarch, and then all the others seem as nothing to me. What is this that makes other forms of beauty seem as not when compared with it, when brought within the radius of its luster? A crystal cup. Wrought with such wondrous skill that light seems to lose its individual glory as it shines upon it and is merged in its beauty. O universal mother, let me enter there. Let my life be merged in its beauty, and no more will I regret my sun strength hidden deep in the chasms of my moon mother. Let me live there and perish there, and I will be joyous while it lasts, and content to pass into the great vortex of nothingness to be born again when the glory of the cup has fled. Can it be that my wish is granted that I have entered the cup and become a part of its beauty? Great mother, I thank thee. Has the cup life? Or is it merely its wondrous perfectness that makes it tremble like a beating heart in unison with the ebb and flow, the great wave pulse of nature? To me it feels as if it had life. I look through the crystal walls and see at the end of the table, isolated from all others, the figure of a man seated. Are those cords that bind his limbs? How suits that crown of laurel, those wide, dim eyes, and that pallid hue? It is passing strange. This feast of beauty holds some dread secrets and sees some wondrous sights. I hear a voice of strange, rich sweetness, yet wavering the voice of one almost a king by nature. He is standing up. I see him through my palace wall. He calls a name and sits down again. Again, I hear a voice from the platform of scrolls, the throne of brows, and again I look and behold a man who stands, trembling yet flushed, as though the morning light shone bright upon his soul. He reads in cadenced measure a song in praise of my moon mother, the feast of beauty, and the king. As he speaks, he trembles no more, but seems inspired, and his voice rises to a tone of power and grandeur and rings back from walls and dome. I hear his words distinctly, though saddened in tone, in the echo from my crystal home. He concludes and sits down, half-fainting amid a whirlwind of applause, every note, every beat of which is echoed as the words had been. Again, the monarch rises and calls Aurora, that she may sing for freedom. The name echoes in the cup with a sweet, sad sound. So sad, so despairing seems the echo that the hall seems to darken and the scene to grow dim. Can a sun spirit mourn or a crystal vessel weep? She, the dejected one, rises from her seat on the throne of sound, and all eyes turn upon her save those of the pale one, laurel-crowned. Thrice she essays to begin, and thrice not comes from her lips but a dry, husky sigh, till an old man who has been moving round the hall, settling all things, cries out in fear, lest she should fail, Freedom! 
The word is re-echoed from the cup. She hears the sound, turns toward it, and begins. Oh, the melody of that voice! And yet it is not perfect alone, for after the first note comes an echo from the cup that swells in unison with the voice, and the two sounds together seem as if one strain came ringing sweet from the lips of all Father himself. So sweet it is that all throughout the hall sit spellbound and scarcely dare to breathe. In the pause after the first verses of the song, I hear the voice of the old man speaking to a comrade, but his words are unheard by any other. Look at the king. His spirit seems lost in a trance of melody. Ah, I fear me some evil. The nearer the music approaches to perfection, the more rapt he becomes. I dread lest a perfect note shall prove his death call. His voice dies away as the singer commences the last verse. Sad and plaintive is the song, full of feeling and tender love, but love overshadowed by grief and despair. As it goes on, the voice of the singer grows sweeter and more thrilling, more real, and the cup, my crystal time home, vibrates more and more as it gives back the echo. The monarch looks like one entranced, and no movement is within the hall. The song dies away in a wild wail that seems to tear the heart of the singer in twain, and the cup vibrates still more as it gives back the echo. As the note, long swelling, reaches its highest, the cup, the crystal cup, my wondrous home, the gift of the All-Father, shivers into millions of atoms and passes away. Ere I am lost in the great vortex, I see the singer throw up her arms and fall. Freed at last, and the king sitting, glory-faced, but pallid with the hue of death. Classics. This has been a Red Oak Media production. All musical scores are written and recorded by Jonathan Hamlet and narration recorded by Brad Bates. Tune in next time for a new chapter of another Dark Classic. Dark classic.